0: of heights to the depths of the sea
1: and you charge me today with the fault concerning this woman and notice he he doesn't he doesn't deny it he's just angry that he got busted may god do so more to abner and more also if i do not do for david as the lord has sworn to him i would have you underline what the lord as the lord has sworn to him this is abner's own voice his own speech
0: Laining in his grave We aren't specifically told, but Abner's response leads us to believe that the accusation of meddling with Saul's concubine from Isposhef was false. It's possible that he was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul and he took the concubine as an expression of his power and dominance. It's more likely that because of Abner's increasing power, Isposheth felt it necessary to invent this accusation as a reason to get rid of Abner. As a result, Abner told Isposheth that he would now support David and help David fulfill what the Lord promised. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message.
1: To you, you shall not return that way again. Notice verse 17 neither shall you he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Did David do that? Yes, he did. Did Solomon do that? Oh, yes, he did. And here's God's warning, very clear in Scripture. We, we, we see it all the way back in Genesis, we see it throughout the New Testament. Two becoming one, God warns the kings to have one wife, not to multiply wives. And why is that? Because God knows best. And as we get into David's life, you're going to see one of the great problems that arises from David's life is because he missed this. One of the things is he he wasn't listening in this area. Did God come out and flat out say, you can't have more than one wife? No, he really didn't. I mean, he did say one wife, you know, and and two become one, but he seems to have allowed this idea of polygamy. It's not a good idea because we read of it right now. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. So why would I want to do it if it's not a good idea? If there's no precedent for it in the Scripture, why do I want want to flirt with it? Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the law. And so it goes. But see, not only David did this. He multiplied wise, but also his son Solomon. Notice in First Kings, let me just read this to you for the sake of time, but you might want to write it in the margin of your Bible. First Kings chapter 11, what does it say? Verse 1. Notice what I just read to you in Deuteronomy But Solomon, King Solomon, loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, these are all the pagan nations surrounding. So not only is he getting involved in these nations that he really shouldn't be, he's taking multiple wives from each of these things. And from the natural, it seems good because whenever you want to make a peace treaty with your enemies or your neighbors, the best thing to do is marry the daughter from each of these guys. And when she comes into your house and starts to have children... There's, a, there's a, a trust relationship. Oh, I don't want to go against them. I'm going to hurt my kids and my daughter. And there's this kind of fuzzy feeling that everybody feels. You know. And, and uh, it sounds all good and the natural, but it's not good. So, um, so he takes a wife from the women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor, shall they, uh, nor are they with you. Now, was God just being racist? No, he wasn't being racist. Was he a bigot? No, he wasn't a bigot. What was God concerned about? Honestly, was God you know was it was it was it? I mean, they're people, right? They're no different. I mean, we have a variety of different people here in the room. Was it that? No, it was because those pagan nations worshipped foreign gods, and God knew that if they got involved with them, they would too would be ensnared into the idolatrous practices, and ultimately it would destroy them. That's the problem. People are people, but God saw that he had to keep his people special and separate from those things. Would to God that we all did that today, keeping our kids separate from things that we know are going to destroy them. So Solomon notice, clung to these, or notice what God says, "...you shall not intermarry with them, nor shall they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods." And Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And notice, his wife turned away, his wives turned away his heart. Didn't, isn't that what God said would happen? And lo and behold, it did. He wasn't listening. He wasn't obedient to the, what we read in Genesis had David done that, had Solomon done that, think of all the hurt they could have avoided. The history of Israel would have been completely different if they would have done that. And see, that to me is, is good reason why we should listen to the word of God and not make up our own rules and, and, and think that we can somehow do whatever we want and not expect consequences. There are consequences for everything we do. And if we are not walking with the Lord and listening to him and obeying him, we can expect trouble. We can expect destruction. It's just going to happen, and it may just take some time, but it's coming to a theater near you in Dolby Surround Sound. Trouble is coming to you if you disobey God, right? They turned away his heart. Solomon went after Ashtarish, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did, he, as did David, his father. Then Solomon built high places for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, and for Molech, the abominations of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all of his pagan wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And see, that is what happened. And all of these things created the mess. Created the mess that we see in the Scripture as a result of those things. We're going to read, as we read, be cognizant of that. Because we're going to find, as David begins to begin his reign on the throne, it's his sons and, and, and these things, and they're all from different mothers. They're all vying for um, position in, his, in their father's kingdom. They're killing each other and, 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 and lusting for power. Whenever there are things in the Bible that give us warning... Whenever there are things in the Bible, they give us warning, even though they might not be hard and fast commandments against a certain thing, we really ought to pay attention and not to get anywhere near those things. You know, Why would you, get, why would you go near those things that God says, like drinking alcohol? Why would you continue to drink alcohol when there's such a, a prohibition of it in the Bible? To not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. Well, I can have a drink. and you know, Well, if you can, praise the Lord. That's your prerogative if you'd like. But if, 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 if there's so much about it, you know, st- wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. You may think you've got a handle on it now, but it's only a matter of time before you get frustrated, you have a bad day, you get fired, and you come home from your job that you just got fired from and you just tie one on. Then you tie another one on. Next thing you know, it's it's your release. That's what you do. What's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. Yes, there is. One thing leads to another. It never, ever stops. It has to. That's just the way it works. And for those of us who have been in that world, we know that that is the way it works. But why do you want to get so close to the edge? You know, even in the Scriptures, there's a number of scriptures that warn us about sexual sin and sexual promiscuity. What did Solomon tell his son in Proverbs? He says, To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon the precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? The answer is no. So if these things be, then why do we flirt with them? Let's just be honest with the Lord and pay attention because these are things that are in our society right now. Those few things that I just mentioned, they're destroying everything. And they're destroying many homes as we speak. But let's go on to verse 6 here because now, after it lists his... Wives and his six sons and his six wives. It says, Now it was so that there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but Abner was strengthening his hold. Notice, Abner was strengthening his hold. This man was really the power behind the throne of Ishbosheth. He really wanted to be king, and he wanted to be the, the big guy in control. And we'll see that as we go. And Saul had a concubine. We know, we, know, we know that Saul has already passed from the scene, but he had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah. And so Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? And um, Abner doesn't deny this, and it evidently did happen. And in that type of, uh, in the Middle East during that time, to take one's concubine or to take one's wife of a king or his concubine is basically usurping his authority. You're basically making your intentions known that I am going to be in power now. And you prove that by sleeping with one of his concubines. And that's exactly what, this, what, um, what Abner did. He goes into one of his father's concubines, Rizpah, and he does that very thing. And unfortunately, we see this thing playing out in history, too. We see Absalom doing the same thing. Absalom going in and sleeping with one of his father's concubines when he drove him out of Israel. We see it in Adonijah after David passes from the scene. We see um, Adonijah, one of David's sons, you know, going before Solomon, asking for Abishag, one of David's concubines. Hoping to secure some kind of power. And it was a really rash thing for him to do and it cost him his life. But notice verse eight. Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth, and he says, "Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah?" Basically, he's saying, you know, a, a dog is is just a a, a a rotten animal in that time, and it was a, a symbol of, of of dirt, you know, and filth, and what a dog can be. Not all dogs, but he says, "Am I a dog's head that I that um that belongs to Judah?" Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, to his friends, and you charge me today with the fault concerning this woman. And notice he he doesn't he doesn't deny it. He's just angry that he got busted. May God do so more to Abner and more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. I would have you underline what the Lord, as the Lord has sworn to him. This is Abner's own voice, his own speech. As the Lord has sworn to him, underline that. And what is what did God swear to David? Verse 10, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel. Notice, not just over Judah, but over all of Israel and over Judah, from Dan in the, in the north to Beersheba, all the way to the south. And And it's amazing. Abner is... Uh, opportunist Do you know what an opportunist is? It's somebody who plays both sides against the middle. And whichever side starts to, you know, win, he's on the winning side. He's always on the winning side. He's an opportunist. And that's really what we see Abner doing. Since he knows that Ishbosheth, Saul's son, is really not rising, things aren't looking very good. It just seems to be going downhill every single day. He looks on the ticker tape and he just sees the, you know, the numbers going down and down and down and the stock declining and declining and declining. He's like, I'm jumping ship, I'm going to Judah. I'm going over to David. So he decides to come over to David. If you look at verse 6, and you look at verses 8 and 9, you see how shifty he is. Notice in verse 6, that while there was war between the house of Saul, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. Notice how shifty he is. Now look at verses uh, 8 and 9. What does it say? Abner became angry. He says, May God do so to Abner and and more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. Abner knew what God had spoken about David. And yet, wasn't he living in rebellion against the revealed will of God before? Remember, he's strengthening himself, trying to put Ishbosheth on the throne and Mahanaim over on the eastern side of the Jordan. Why was he doing that when he knew very well the things that had been spoken of David? Just simple rebellion. That's all well what it is. And Abner knew. And people like Abner are chameleons. They're willing to go with the flow or whatever is happening so that he can be enriched and stay alive. You can't blame him for staying alive, but he's just. Looking to what he can get, and notice in verse eleven, back in our text, he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. And uh, again, Ishbosheth—you know—he's he, talking to Abner, the commander of the army. This guy's got the army, so no matter what Ishbosheth does, he's got a problem. The army's on on his on this guy's side, so he's got a real problem. And then Abner sent messages. Messengers on his behalf to David saying, Whose is the land? So now he's going to be real nice. He's going to be a smooth operator. Now that he sees Ishbosheth's reign starting to crumble, he's going to jump ship. And he goes, Hey, David, whose land is it? It's yours. It's always been yours. I knew it all along. I mean, I don't know if you read my Facebook blog, but on the, pro- on the top there underneath my name, with the crown on my head, of course, it says, I believe that David ought to be king. You know, I mean, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. He says, whose is the land, saying also, make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be be well with you, and I'll bring all Israel to you. And this is a yet another indicator of David's kingdom increasing and Saul's kingdom decreasing. And so David said, good, I'll make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, I want to see Michal, my wife. I want to see my wife. Do you remember when David was out with Goliath, right before he went out to face off with Goliath? There was a reward on hand, wasn't there? His family would be spared the taxes. He would also get Saul's daughter to marry. So he'd be a a son-in-law to the king. Wow, that's awesome. He'd be getting riches and and gold and all those things. We see that in 1 Samuel 17. And then what happens after this? After David wins the battle against Goliath, and 1 Samuel 18, beginning in verse 17, says that Saul said to David, Here's my older daughter, Mirab." And this all sounds fine and good. This is part of his reward. I'll give to her, you know, to you as wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines do my dirty work, basically. And so David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life and my father that I should be son-in-law of the king? But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Meholothite, as a wife. So Saul does this, because he's so jealous and he hates David so much, he promises his daughter, but right before they're married, he gives her to someone else. How would that make you feel? (laughs) It's not a very good thing. And so he tricks David And so David, or King Saul, finally gives to David, not Mirab, but his younger daughter, Michal. But he puts a proviso on it. He says, well, I'm not going to give you my firstborn daughter, even though I'm supposed to give her to you, and I promise. But, you know, it's okay. I'll give you to Michal. I'll give you to her. But I want you to do something for me. I want you to go kill 100 Philistines and bring back hundred foreskins. You can have her as, that'll be your dowry, Payment for my, my lovely daughter, Mikal. So David brings back two hundred. <laughs> he brings back two hundred. And so not only did Macau belong to David originally, lawfully, but having her now back with him solidifies. Israel's confidence in David, seeing that Michal was one of his wives and a a member of Saul's family that kind of makes the other ten tribes and and Benjamin feel much more comfortable coming to David, knowing that he's marrying and, and bringing back into his house Saul's daughter, making things right. So David, verse fourteen, sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, "Give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines." And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband from Paltiel the son of Laish, and then her husband went along with her to Bahurim, weeping behind her. And, and honestly, you think of this; this is really sad. So you know, even before. Um, you know, when David was married to Macau, remember he was on the run and she had let him out of a window and he, he fleed for his life. And uh, as a result of that, there were probably a couple years where he didn't see her because he's on the run from her insane father who's trying to kill her, kill him. And so Saul gives Mikal to someone else as wife. To this Paltiel, and think of how this how this works now. Now David wants her back, so Saul's youngest son Ishbosheth goes to Paltiel and says, "Um, "I know my father gave you to her, or gave her to you, but she really belongs to David. Come with me, young lady." And so she goes. She doesn't appear to be complaining too much. But Palteal, a poor guy, he's walking behind her crying. Can you imagine just the horror of that? You know, thinking you're married and then your, your wife is being taken away from you. But she was legally David's. Now verse 17, back in our text, it says, Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it, for the Lord has spoken of David. Notice, here he is again saying that God has done this. And he says, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and all the hand of all their enemies. Abner knew very well what was spoken of, of David. And where was it written about David and his reign over all Israel? Didn't God say that to Samuel, to tell to David in First Samuel 13, what did it say? Beginning in verse 13. It says, Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly, and this is after one of uh, Saul's uh, acts of disobedience. Samuel says to him, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, over his people. Not just Judah, but over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. There it is. There's part of it. What about in 1 Samuel 15, verse 28? It goes on and says, Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom. Samuel says to Saul, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Who is that? David. He's torn it away from you. Torn The, torn the, the kingdom of Israel. The whole entire thing. Not just Judah. Do you see it? seems fairly obvious, but he's talking about the whole thing, all of Israel. He goes on, finally, in in 1 Samuel 16. What does it say? The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn and go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Who is that king who is supposed to reign over all of Israel? David. So God gives to Samuel, Samuel speaks, it's written before everybody, they can see it, everybody knows about it, certainly Abner knew about it, rebelled against it, but he knew, and so he's saying it now, he's very convenient now, it's a very convenient thing for Abner to say, oh, by the way, I did hear some good things about you, David, yeah, I was talking to, I heard from Samuel that, uh, you know, that you're supposed to be the king now, and uh, over all of Israel.
0: I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday at area code 585